I'm the Gypsy, and you're not. And this is the Rubber Biscuit Road Show, presented by Artist Alley Studio, featuring the artisan, handcrafted, and branded creations of the Gypsy and Mad Hatter at www.artistalleystudio.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 11 of the Rubber Biscuit Roadshow. I am your host, The Gypsy. Well, if you were with us last week, you discovered something at the same time I discovered something. The truth about my biological father. This week, we're going to take a look at what that truth led to and the situations that happened that really should have never happened. But before I proceed, I want to give you my apologies on this podcast tonight. If you hear any background noise sounding like scratching or popping or anything like that, it's because our cat Cricket got a brand new toy today and she has relentlessly been playing with it. Now, who am I to prevent a sweet little kitty? Actually, she's a monster. But who am I to prevent a sweet little kitty from enjoying herself? So, without any further ado, I present to you Episode 11 of Never Say Never, An Epic Journey. Hasta la vista, baby. Nightmare Alley had earned its name just as honestly as other stretches of road had earned theirs. Dead Man's Curve and Devil's Backbone were no more than a lover's lane compared with the stretch of road that joined Topeka and Natchez in Kansas. By day, it was a narrow two-lane road rolling through Kansas farm country and joining several rural communities to the capital. But as if it were some sort of asphalt version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the highway transformed into a dark and snaky monster at sunset. The inky blackness that engulfed the road at night sucked in and swallowed any light that threatened to penetrate her cloak. One moment a traveler might think themselves on a straight stretch of road that in reality was curving to the left or right. It would cause the driver to pull hard suddenly one direction or another to maintain the lane. The denizens of the night lurking along her shoulders, a leaping deer or a scurrying raccoon might suddenly challenge the unwary driver further. Nightmare Alley had claimed a score of inattentive drivers whose restless spirits range just outside the edge of vision. They seek to warn but have lost their power to intervene, as Jacob Marley had intoned Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. So it was that on the night of my father's burial I found myself navigating a road that otherwise I would have avoided after dark. The temperature was in the mid-thirties but the wind chill on the speeding motorcycle brought the temperature down to the teens. The cold sliced through my leather and heavy clothing, cutting into my flesh like an icy knife. I let my mind travel its own road to help me ignore the freezing needles of the road I now traveled. I wandered back in time, reliving the night in 1969 when my mother revealed that the father I had thought was long dead in fact lived. My mother had told me the true circumstances of his accident and for 45 minutes had desperately tried to justify her lie. 
She pleaded for my forgiveness, which, because she was my mother, I gave her. As I look back on that night, knowing the state of dementia that over the years my mother's mind had fallen into, perhaps it was easier for her to pretend Leroy had died rather than live with the fact that she could never be with him again. I do not doubt that he was truly the love of her life. My mother ended her exclamation as the phone rang. It's for you, she said through her tears. It's your father. We spoke, he and I, for over an hour. Leroy promised that he would make up for lost time and be a true father to me. He explained that due to his accident and ultimate recovery, the governor had pardoned him. I guess he figures I suffered enough, he said half-joking. I told him of my life, of my likes and dislikes, and he listened attentively. My mother sat on the edge of her bed, chain-smoking her Bel Airs, and listening to each and every word I spoke. As if sensing she was near, Leroy finally asked to speak with my mother. As I handed her the phone, I heard him say, I love you, son. The phrase echoed through my mind as I navigated the shadowy turns in Nightmare Alley. Had he really loved me, or did he love the baby that he had known? My room was at the back of the house and had once been a porch before someone had enclosed it. A small window that had never been covered near my bed connected to the room with my mother's. I opened the window slightly and lay awake deep into the night listening to them talk. Somewhere around two in the morning I fell asleep. Sleep did sound good at this point, but I still had many cold miles to go before I made it home. I pulled into the little service station at Valley Falls just as they were closing for the night. I convinced the same greasy station attendant I had thrown money at earlier in the day to stay open long enough for me to gas up. I tossed a buck and a quarter on the counter. Wasn't that what I paid earlier today? The little cafe on the hill had closed for the day, and all the goat fuckers had gone home to fuck their hairy garbage-eating wives. I spied the stained coffee pot sitting on a hot plate behind the counter and indicated it to the greasy attendant. He grabbed a dirty styrofoam cup from the trash can and rinsed it in a greasy sink. He poured the remains of the sludge in the cup and handed it to me. I offered him two bits, but he declined it, saying, I was going to toss it anyways. This crap was first cousin to the tar I had at the cafe that morning. In the darkened parking lot of the service station, I choked it down as I cleared the taste from my mouth with a cigarette. Hell, this wasn't coffee. It's the remains of spittoon. At least it's hot. I hit the highway, my thoughts immediately following into the rhythm of the road and going back to that time that a small taste of what could have been entered our lives. Shirley was the happiest she had been in years. Soon she would be back with her Leroy. Soon they would be together again, and nothing would ever separate them again. She started putting a package together for Leroy. She collected photos of herself, Jimmy, and Patty. She wrote long letters catching Lee up on all he had missed. Shirley had Jimmy draw several pictures so that she could show Lee what a fine artist her son was. At the present, Lee was the convalescent home in Houston, Texas. He had assured Shirley that as soon as he was released from rehabilitation, he would get a job and send for her and the children. Shirley talked to Leroy every day on the phone and watched mail every afternoon for a letter from her beloved. Patty carried the thick manila envelope in from the mailbox. Mail, Mommy, she called out. Shirley ran in from the kitchen and grabbed the envelope from her daughter. In a neat block letter across the front of the envelope, she read, Shirley, George, and Children, 1235 Bellevue, Topeka, Kansas, 66601. Her heart sang with joy. Lee had used his name and her surname and had not used her legal name of Stuart in addressing the envelope. She ripped it open. Letters and pictures poured out. Jimmy, come here, Shirley called out. He rushed into the room. Shirley handed him a letter and a Polaroid snapshot. The photo was of a tall, thin man with thinning black hair. 
He was seated, legs crossed, in an overstuffed chair. That's your father, Shirley said. Jimmy took his letter and went to his room and read it. Shirley finally had an address for Leroy, and she left immediately for the post office to mail her package to him. That night, Shirley spoke with Leroy on the phone. She told him that she had mailed her package to him. He said that he would be watching for it. Leroy also told Shirley that he was being discharged from the convalescent home the next day, and he would contact her again when he was settled. Leroy assured her that it would not be long before he would be coming for them. Shirley anxiously waited for word from Leroy. She went nowhere in the evenings for fear she would miss his call. When she arrived home from work each afternoon, the mailbox was her first stop. It had been two weeks since Shirley had last spoken to Leroy, and she was getting worried. It was a Saturday, and she resolved herself to call Cecil on Sunday if she had not heard from Leroy by the end of the day. Mommy! It was Patty coming in from outside. You got a package! Shirley rushed her daughter and grabbed the package out of her hands. It was another thick manila envelope, but the handwriting on this one was not the neat block lettering on the previous envelope from Leroy. This envelope was addressed to Shirley Stewart. With trembling hands, she ripped open the envelope and poured the contents on her bed. Every letter she and the children had written, every picture Jimmy had drawn, every photo she had sent now lay upon her bed, torn and ripped into hundreds of pieces. Amid the shredded pieces of paper was a sheet of plain blue stationery. Scrawled across his face in a hurried script was this message. If you want to know who the father of your bastard child is, why don't you look at Wesley? Leave my husband alone, whore! Wilma! Jimmy was gone, spending the day swimming at the YMCA, and Patty had gone outside to play in the yard. Shirley sat on the edge of her bed, holding the piece of blue stationery and staring at the pile of trash that had been a brief dream, a moment of hope. She folded the piece of stationery and placed it in the envelope. Rising up from the bed, she slowly walked into the kitchen and removed a roll of scotch tape from the utility drawer. Returning to her bedroom, Shirley sat down on the edge of the bed. Searching through the scraps of paper, she started matching up the pieces and taping them together. With tears streaming down her face, she worked carefully, methodically, repairing photos, pictures, and letters alike. Shirley had always had a mind for repairing and putting things back together. Jigsaw, word, and crossword puzzles held little challenge for her. She was sure that with just a little perseverance, she could fix this too. At Atchison, I crossed the high and narrow, steel-girded Missouri River Bridge back into Missouri. I was back on Highway 59 and approximately 20 cold miles from home. The motorcycle's tires hummed as they skimmed over the bridge's steel deck. Looking up, I saw the Welcome to Missouri sign as I passed under it. Missouri, the show-me state, it proudly proclaimed. Show me my bed, I thought. Kansas's nightmare alley and the bridge all disappeared behind me. The road hummed under my tires as a light mist started to fall. Great, couldn't have waited until I got home. My mind took me away from my miserable conditions and back to the last time I had ever spoken to Leroy Everett George. It was almost like it had happened yesterday. It was my 15th birthday. We were still living in Topeka at 5541 Southwest 29th Street and my mom was at work. The phone rang and when I answered, a familiar voice wished me a happy birthday. I asked him where he was and he told me he was calling from a payphone by the beach in Corpus Christi, Texas. While we were dealing with 30-degree temperatures on this 25th day of October, Leroy was basking in the sun of an 80-degree Texas afternoon. Leroy apologized for never coming for us. He told me that he had divorced women and would be contacting my mother soon to make arrangements to move us to Texas. He asked me not to say anything to my mother. He said he would call her in a few days and surprise her with the news. I promised I would keep the secret. 
Leroy again wished me a happy birthday, said he loved me, and hung up promising to call back in a few days. He never called back, and I never told my mother of the phone call. I pulled up in front of my apartment building around 9 p.m. I was cold, stiff, covered in small ice particles, and probably just a step away from hypothermia. I almost fell off the bike as I dismounted. My muscles were tight from the clenching against the cold I had been doing for the past 80 miles. I crawled up the stairs to my second floor apartment and let myself in. The apartment was dark. Donnie Ray was probably at her grandmother's and Rhonda was probably out with her best friend Carrie. I moved through the apartment, turning on lights and stripping off my clothes. I filled the bathtub with warm water and lowered my stiff, frozen body into it. As I thawed out, my mind recapped the day's events and I again regretted that I had not taken Lori up on her offer. As I dried off and started getting dressed, I thought, my father will never have to bathe again. I went to the front room and turned on the stereo. The hippo out of Kansas City was rocking out the night. I turned off the lamp and retrieved my stash box from under the couch. Opening up the old wooden cigar box, I pulled out my bag and pipe. Packing the pipe, I dropped the bag back into the box. I lit up as I collapsed onto the couch. Red bud and deep purple lulled me into a blessed, dreamless sleep. Sunday morning broke bright upon the land with morning temperatures in the mid-sixties. There was no hint left of the cold and gray dismal weather of the day before. It promised to be a beautiful early spring day. Sometime during the night, Rhonda had come home. I found Donnie Ray in her bed and Rhonda and ours, both very sound asleep. I put the coffee on the stove, grabbed a cigarette, and headed out to the back balcony of the building. I lit my cigarette and sat down on the rail, waiting for the coffee to brew. I watched the fluffy white clouds slowly making their way across the deep blue sky. Pulling a drag off my cigarette, I thought about what my Uncle Cecil had told me Leroy had said when he told him I wanted to meet him. I wouldn't know what to say to the boy. Hello, I thought would have been a good place to start. I could hear the pot perking inside the kitchen and hurried inside to turn off the burner. I returned to the balcony, a cup of coffee in my hand and an unlit cigarette hanging from my lips. I pulled the cigarette from my mouth and took a sip of the hot caramel-colored liquid. I looked up at the sky and addressed the clouds as they floated by. Leroy, you were my father, but you were never my dad. That honor belongs to Ernie. Because you gave me life, for which I thank you, I did my duty and laid you to rest, even though I never knew you, and you never knew me. I vow in your grave that my children will always know me, and I will never leave them to wonder who I am. When I wanted to meet my father, you became a coward, saying that you did not know what to say to me. Well, today I am no coward, and I know what to say to you. Goodbye. I turned and stepped back into the building, the screen door slamming hard behind me. Well, that concludes this episode of the Rubber Biscuit Road Show, but before we go, I want to talk to you a minute and explain a couple of things. My mom did put back together... All the pictures, all the letters, all the photographs that she had sent to Leroy and that had been returned to her by Wilma, torn into hundreds of pieces. She spent the better part of a night and the next day taping them together. She did not sleep until each and every one was taped together. The cover photo for this week's podcast is one of those photos. It is a picture of me and my sister uh, with Santa Claus. I felt it was an appropriate one to put up. You will look closely at that photograph and notice that it has been ripped and that it has been taped together. That is me at 13 years of age, and that is my sister, six years younger than me. 
And I want you to pay close attention to that photo. My mom held that photo in her hand for a long, long time after she taped it together. Remember the bedroom window that I mentioned that joined our rooms together? I was looking through the window, watching her put everything back together. But when she got to that photo, she held it for a long, long time, tears rolling down her cheeks. I know why she held it. I know why she had held it close to her. I know why it was important to her. It was important because she had thought for one brief moment that not only would she be with the love of her life, but that her children would have a father. And it didn't happen. Anyway, next week, we're going to break away from Never Say Never and Epic Journey Volume 1, and I am going to tell you a story that took place in my life. It's a true story. It happened roughly around the same time. I guess I, you know, I guess I was about 13 years old when this happened. And it is an important story to me, and I hope it warms your heart. It's a Christmas story. It is called The Night Santa Saved Christmas, and I hope you will enjoy it. It will be my Christmas offering to you. So until next week, this is your friendly neighborhood gypsy saying, May God bless and keep you and yours. Later, Gators. Bye-bye now. Visit the Rubber Biscuit Roadshow online at www.rubberbiscuit.com. That's www.rubberbiscuit.com. The Rubber Biscuit Roadshow is produced by Tatman Productions, LLC. All parts of this program are copyrighted, all rights reserved. No parts may be published, reproduced, or used without the written express permission of Tatman Productions, LLC. 